We are traveling back to one of my favorite years in, in cinema today. It's, it's 1986, one of my favorite years in general. The 80s, you know, and we're right, this is it, right in the middle of the 80s, just like mm, a sandwich, just right where the meat is, where the best part of the decade is, 86. And, uh, you know, uh, and today joining us, uh, as always, is, uh, is Sammy Hamarne. I'm Gabe Pacheco, and we've got a, a special guest on Third Mike, um, a salty road dog stand-up comedian, Dan Wilbur. <laughs> yeah, grizzled. <laughs> Listen to my voice. And um, I, uh, I used to work the clubs, and these YouTubers, they don't know what they're doing. That's right. <laughs> what is it? The TikTok kids, they don't understand what it was these like. Kids, these kids and their Nintendos. Uh, I'm still relevant. <laughs> I'm still relevant. <clears throat> and uh and dan i used to listen to your podcast uh, million dollar movies which yes. is still up now we can- yes i left it up i pay that five dollars got a shout out to the pua uh ending um <laughs> gonna keep that five dollars a month rolling on libsyn whatever it is <laughs> but paid for by ui benefits yeah, so uh, if anybody likes what we're doing here uh, at Eat, Pray, Judge, and you're just you need more content, I'd say go and check out the archive of Million Dollar Movies. Uh, but realize- I talked to an old I talked to an old man about his favorite movies. Is essentially the pitch. No, I love it, and he and Bob sounds like a like an old Jewish therapist. Bob is is a really unique character and a and an authentic New Yorker. Yep. Um, <laughs> Born and raised, 44th, 44th Street. Yeah. Uh, 1986, my friends. I don't know what you dug up from this glorious year, but I immediately uh, stumbled upon Op- the Oprah Winfrey show debuting na- nationally uh, in September of 1986. So this was when Oprah made, made a splash on the national stage. And uh, It's pertinent to this movie that we're discussing. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that- that that TV therapy becomes what people dig into all day. Sure, it had less to do with the content and more to do with the uh, individual delivering the, the and story. Yes, to us. and the and the emotion, and also the celebrity of the the person reporting those human interest stories. It's yeah, perfect. When I think about Oprah, I think about um, human interest stories and tissue boxes being uh, passed back and forth between the interviewer and the subject being interviewed. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> P- pulling on the heartstrings. And this also, and sort of a health thing that uh, kind of blew my mind was that they banned cigarettes from all public transportation in 1986. Is that right. including airplanes? Including airplanes. But I was oh, going wow. on airplanes then, and that was the time where the captain would come back and see little kids in the airplane, in the coach, and he would hand you uh, a pin, right, of wings. Mm-hmm. So I, got, I constantly would get pins, and all of the stewardesses, or now flight attendants, would, would flirt with me. And, uh, but on the sides of, the, of my chairs would be dirty ashtrays. <laughs> full, of, full of smoked capris and pall malls but just butts it's fun to think of your life in terms of how uh airports and airplanes changed because every time <laughs> i watch a movie from 
pre 9-11 i'm like what are these people doing People was just walking through the airport like nothing's going on uh yeah you, like yeah you had cigarettes that's the life i've never known yeah, I just I didn't I didn't see the point in separating uh, smoking from non-smoking sections in airplanes back then because if if, <laughs> if you were above maybe three feet tall, there was a mist yeah. <laughs> that covered the entire span of the airplane. Uh, and to this day, if I see like there's like you know when even like ten to twelve to fifteen years later, you would see an airplane with an ash with ashtray still built into the sides, and I was always a little skeptical of those planes because <laughs> clearly they were outdated. Yeah, well, you know, and and I'd I'd say relevant for today, when you think about uh, you could smell a cigarette in another cabin of the plane, Um, what happens if somebody with, uh, you know, some sort of airborne illness is on an airplane and coughs? (laughs) Does it matter what cabin you're in? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just amazing that there's... (laughs) Uh, so the smoking ban that happened. Um, what what uh and movies from this time that everybody was. I think this was just like the golden age for going to the video store and picking out yeah. movies based on the VHS uh, box art. But, yeah, for uh, sure. The big ones this year were Top Gun and uh, Platoon, mm-hmm. and for my little brother, Care Bears Part Two: The Next Generation. So uh, that's that's where I was in 80, 86, things I was maybe watching or was subjected to. In, uh, in 86, I think maybe there weren't, I didn't have a VHS player yet, uh, but I also was not alive until the end of the year. Yeah. So 1986 is important to me because that's when my my parents did it. <laughs> for, the first, for the first time for the first and only time first and only time uh no they had had sex before i have an older oh, brother yeah. oh, oh okay. it's good yes it's good that they practiced and uh <laughs> so i was born when they were making this movie uh and i i had only the only thing i saw was that moonstruck came out like the same weekend i think if i'm getting this correct so just so to- to clarify very quickly, like when I did the research for, for the time, the film was said to be an 87 film. So I did 87 research. So I want, I, I, I just want to let everyone know that my, sure. my facts aren't necessarily applicable to the time frame here. Well, they like researched it in 86 right. and then put it out in 87. Gotcha. And like that a lot of it's about Zarinsky, this one, this actual journalist. Right. Um, that Holly Hunter Still, based your character off of, yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> the, well, well, that it is relevant then that uh, you researched '87. So, so anything that you want to say about that year works too. Good. I yeah. think it all kind of bleeds together. Sure. I mean, uh, yeah, it's all kind of a haze at this point for me, anyway. Year wise, um, I think this is our 48th movie from 1987. <laughs> so we've, we've, covered, we've covered some solid ground um, as far as that, that year is concerned. Uh, but we've done both Moonstruck and, and um, Top Gun specifically. Um, two of my favorites, Gabe, I don't know about you. But um, yeah, 
what else was going on in 87? Do you think that Oprah replaced uh, or started to like phase out um, the soap opera generation because people could actually get real life uh, weird stories? Real on life a daily soap basis? opera. Real life soap yeah. operas instead? I really like that idea because it is kind of a, you have soap operas and you have, you need a huge crew and you need to pay all these actors. And so having sort of uh, melodramatic talk shows like this, like Oprah or Donahue mm -hmm. or Sally Jesse Raphael would probably cut into that same market. Yeah. Be cheaper. Why, why hire people to play uh, power money hungry incestual lovers? when you can actually just <laughs> dig, dig them up for free <laughs> in greater America. Uh, it's funny, funny enough, I had a friend from England who thought that um, America, the first time that she's, she always thought America was its movies. Uh, like, it, like it was all New York, it was all LA, very cosmopolitan, very snazzy, very jazzy. And then she saw uh, our talk shows and uh, that blew her away. She was like, oh, you guys have like the same lower, lower intelligence people that we have. Yeah, and we mm -hmm. got a lot of that tabloid culture came from the UK specifically. Mm -hmm. Like they were the first, like, you know, they were big into the uh, celebrity obsessed and obviously they had the, the, the royal family. <laughs> of ancestral <laughs> couples. Um, right. But they were kind of the, uh, the, the inventors of that, I don't know, I don't know what to call it, a genre of yeah. stupidity. But. I just, you, just as you said that, I realized that like the idea of, oh, this person's famous for no reason, or this person's famous because they made a sex tape, like all of that's better than just the royal family. Just yeah. random, <laughs> random people that were born with a last name. Exactly. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and an odd uh, like hemophilia that comes <laughs> only from incest. Yeah. So, so yeah, we, did, we, didn't, we didn't have the royal family. So to us, our royalty was, I guess, Hollywood. So mm -hmm. it turned into an even more like specifically targeted um, infatuation with people that act on film. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that's us. Oh, that's also us. 87, 20, the height of waterbeds in America. 22% of all mattresses sold were waterbeds. Uh, I don't know if either of you have ever slept on a waterbed mattress. I hate uh, it. Da Dan probably, yeah, it's at some point. Yeah. You, were, you were probably conceived on one. I... <laughs> um, <laughs> but they yeah. are uncomfortable. Yeah, most people do water births. My family did a waterbed birth. They, they, <laughs> they were like, that... do you want to do this? <laughs> I'd like to see that sketch. <laughs> like a like a Stan Brackage uh, art film but <laughs> about giving birth, but it's all on a terrible waterbed. Right. Whoop. If you think fitting a, a fitted sheet on a normal mattress is difficult, try it on a waterbed. Uh, <laughs> not throwing up when you're drunk. So uh, Dan, you picked broadcast news for us to watch, and uh, I, I can't believe that I I did all this research on '86 when, in fact. Now well, this wiki quote page I'm going to says 1987. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's, that's it's threw some people for a loop. <laughs> well, 86, I was going to say this as part of the history, like 86 and 87 is right when the fairness doctrine is like killed forever for broadcast journalism. So there's this thing I don't I'm not a lawyer 
or um, really in television, couldn't tell you exactly when it started and when it ended, but apparently it was like, the little bit of research I did was that in 1949, if you wanted to broadcast like div divisive subjects, you had to give, um, it's not the equal time rule, but you had to give both sides of an argument if you were gonna have people on TV like talking about protests or talking about Watergate. So basically about, the media had to be what you would call fair and balanced. They had to be fair and balanced. And then there's like a, if you check Snopes.com, you know, there's some like lefties being like, Reagan's the one that killed it. And uh, he did have, you know, some hand in it, but it was like Congress decided like, yeah, TV's fine. Let's just let them do whatever they want. We got cable now, baby. I honestly don't think Reagan's blamed enough in general. <laughs> yeah, Reagan's for, not blamed enough. So I'll go ahead and say it was Reagan, but- Good, there uh, we go. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't it was it was congress uh destroying this thing that was basically already sort of destroyed at this point uh but it's pertinent since we all live in the post broadcast news time and broadcast news at this exact moment because its subject is about broadcast journalists uh it it is aware of the moment in time where uh news is just completely destroyed and becomes entertainment. And yes. Real news, quote unquote, real news. And right. uh, Dan, like it, 10 years later, we have the Telecommunications Act of 1996, which uh, allowed for um, like basically large, uh, it allowed for the breaking up of telecommunications and allowed for anybody to compete in any region so mm -hmm. it's the free market opened up and it led to like 600 um media companies being consolidated into six <laughs> <laughs> so we've seen a continued slide into um into media and information monopolies yeah since and like and i gotta be honest since we're on the we're we're talking about like why I picked this movie, right? Yeah. There's a couple reasons. First, that that's the you know, the smartest reason is because I'm like all the jokes in this, all the uh the ethical dilemmas that they're grappling with are extremely of this moment and had consequences for our lives as far as Fox News and uh and then when the internet comes along and it's just everybody's just watching stupid shit all day. It's basically what Holly Hunter's character uh, preaches against at the opening of the film. Uh, she's, she's trying to explain that real news is being, yes, that real news is about, is, is now uh, beholden to ratings. And that will mean that the news will just get dumber and dumber as we go. And then she shows uh, a clip that, you absolutely get shown on local TV now of, of just a bunch of people uh, setting off a big set of dominoes. Like you're just <laughs> watching a bunch of dominoes fall and then everyone cheers because it is fun. And then she goes, I like fun. Um, so there's, that's, that's all to, I'm just giving you background. I know people are going to watch the movie and, and I don't have to like recite the whole thing for you, but the reasons that I like it are because it's about that, uh, that moment in time 
it's I recognize it as something that the internet did to our brains as well as TV. But then also it's about like, uh, like every character in the film is basically Lisa Simpson. Uh, they're, they're all, and it's a James L. Brooks written, directed, yep. produced. He's the guy who made the Simpsons good and made Mary Tyler Moore good and made uh, a lot of your favorite movies. You should look him up. And that it's about the fact that the characters are smart and ambitious and that even the dumbest person in the movie, the person who represents the dumbing down of news, the pretty boy, William Hurt, is like a smart and charismatic guy who knows what he's doing. They're all alphas. These are apex. They're all alphas. They're all alphas, but they're all Lisa Simpson in a different mood. (laughs) <laughs> like, like lisa simpson trying to be a jock or lisa simpson trying to be the prettiest one in school like but they're still secretly smart he's still like <laughs> that yeah that's that and so that's why i love the the movie uh on its own is that it's like a um as a story it's just what uh aaron sorkin wishes he could have written like everything aaron sorkin wrote after a few good men is just this movie with different spaces that are all like charming smart specific humans having debates that are topical and important and uh ethics driven or and then and then their emotions get sort of tied into it and it fucks up all the things that they think uh and feel and believe and then at the end, you know, their careers destroy them. And that's, uh, <laughs> and, Sorkin, and Sorkin makes it cute and James L. Brooks makes it honest. And then, uh, sorry to just keep talking, but the last thing that we'd have to talk about is um, why I dislike the, I would put this movie over network at the, at the chance of Gabe no longer being friends with me. That, uh, <laughs> Uh, well, if I was going to have a media studies class, the, the I would make people watch a face in the crowd. Oh, yeah. And then, oh, yeah. And then after a face in the crowd, which is from the 60s, and then we right. would watch uh, Network, which is media in the 70s, and then Broadcast News is the 80s version. And yes, uh, they're all showing you the same, like, unraveling of any idea of objective media or ethics in uh, news and, and media. Right. And the only difference between this and network that I have, like the only issue I have with network is that network's almost a parody and it is overtly satire. Uh, like, like uh, the, the preachiness of network is um, in the old man and the young Faye Dunaway. Right. Is that who it yeah. is? That, yeah. that, that she's a product of this different age of television and he's a product of this older age. He's, he's Edward R. Murrow. She's uh, who, you know, uh, Jennings. I don't know. (laughs) That's that's too late. But like she's celebrity obsessed and raised on TV and he's raised on quote, you know, real news and the preachiness of those two fighting each other while this cartoon is happening outside them. Uh, with the birth of reality TV, basically, uh, with the, but all the jokes and broadcast news are about these people 
and these like egocentric uh, <laughs> humans so, that are that all think they're smarter than everybody else. And I just think it's a little more like a slice of life of what it's like to be a journalist that actually is pointing at these big issues versus network, which is like overtly a cartoon. Network is like over the top on purpose. Uh, well, I wanted to uh, hop into like, for anybody that hasn't seen this, just very quickly, the, the wiki quote is so succinct and perfect. The movie is, um, Broadcast News is a 1987 film about a virtuoso television news producer who has daily emotional breakdowns, uh, a brilliant yet prickly reporter, and his charismatic but far from far less seasoned rival. Yes. So, uh, well, right and that's there, also yeah the, the thing that really got me the first time I saw it because I saw this just like on TV. It was one of those things that was on HBO for six weeks, and I just watched it every day when I came home from school. <laughs> remember that? You remember those days? Premium cable. Yeah, um, when when a movie gets syndicated and just put on every day. <laughs> So I had like memorized this movie and I didn't really get why I liked it. Uh, but now, now that I'm an adult, the stress crying that Holly Hunter does throughout the film is the funniest thing to me. <laughs> and then she has like, it's, it's a little like in forgetting Sarah Marshall when Jason Siegel just has whole scenes of him crying and playing piano or like, it's just very funny to me to see somebody break down. And then the rest of the movie, when there are actual emotional moments, she's really reserved, but her eyes are twinkling like she's about to start sobbing. And it's a great piece of acting. Uh, I don't know Holly Hunter very well. I know that I know her from Raising Arizona and from this. 13 so. as well, Gabe. We covered, we, we, we covered yes, all the movies. Yes, she's the mom in 13. Holy shit. I forgot about that. She's the yeah. mom in The Big Sick. She okay. Is, she was actually originally supposed to be played by Deborah Winger, who at that point they were sort of like, uh, you know, the same person in a lot of ways, but Deborah Winger was <laughs> pregnant. So yeah. she was, uh, she had to, she had to cancel within the last like month prior to shooting. So it's fun when um, procreation uh, gives the role to a person that probably would have done a better job with it. So thanks. <laughs> Thanks, for thanks. That. thanks biology thanks thanks yeah exactly thanks science again uh i loved uh i think um watching this the the film my, like like i i do like the sensibility of a film like network a little bit better and mm -hmm. i think it's because the fangs are so much more apparent whereas uh the way that brooks directs um this movie feels like it's got some melodrama and it's got some romance that feels like the ice cream, you know, and, sure. the, and the message, the ethical message is the, is the medicine that's hidden in the ice cream. Yes, know? that's yeah, exactly so right. Except, except that it is the major plot point of the film. Yeah. In fact, like the most problematic moment in the film is when, is when Albert, or, uh, yeah, Albert Brooks says that you really blew the lid off Nookie when he's, he's doing a real, a good piece of news about date rape right and something that people should know about and he's so in his own little bubble of what real news is it has to be like a foreign uh 
rebellion uh, in order to be newsworthy instead of this woman crying on TV. Um, and the fact that that comes up at, at the end, I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, the fact that that scene comes up at the end again is like how you know he knew that he was giving you ice cream the whole movie and then was just going to slam you with this this big piece of ethics. But yeah. it also, the ethics affect their love life. The ethics affect the melodrama. And uh, the other reason that I love this movie, Gabe, uh-huh. <laughs> is, um, is that it's an anti-rom-com. It has all the pieces of a workplace rom-com. And in fact, if you look on the internet, like what are movies like broadcast news, it'll be whatever it is, the, the morning glory and, and uh, it'll be movies that star uh, much worse actresses. Um, it'll be <laughs> movies that star all these, uh, uh, like in the 90s, uh, about a, a woman who's overworked and stressed, just trying to find love, and the, and the newsroom is just a set piece. And then they always end up together. And this movie, again, not to spoil anything, but it did come out in 1987. You can spoil no it away. No one ends up together. Yeah. It's all about their own personal uh, uh, intimacy issues, the entire film. And some of it's about work. And some of it's just about them being too smart and egotistical to ever, and career driven to really, um, you know, I mean, settle I down. I think that the the entire theme of the movie or the the love triangle in this film represents the yeah like you said the plot or it's a metaphor for what it is it's basically ethics <laughs> real journalism and television aesthetics are the three things that are that they're fighting with in one you know, so sort of a microcosm for what the media is to this yeah. day so I think that I think what, what what they show with this is that there's no real loser or you know nobody really loses out if they effectively go for what their what their lane is or what they actually you know truly believe in and I know, i've never like i've never really watched william Hurt movies for some reason he gives me such a weird vibe <laughs> i think it's because he berated a, uh, a deaf woman for winning an oscar <laughs> <laughs> he was dating marley matlin who i think was nominated for an oscar or won one for a role and they were dating and he got really mad and you know Blamed it on Wait, her. Is the children just, children of a lesser god? Isn't he yeah, in it? That, that's exactly what it was. I, no, they were just. I, he might have been in it, but they were dating. Oh, okay. They were together, so he was. You know, he's like people worked their whole. Life. I saw this rant years and years ago, and I've never liked him <laughs> ever since then. He also just gives me like a super creepy vibe. Yeah, he gives uh, me a creepy vibe because they're a guy that fake cries at date rape. You know that kind of vibe. Sure. Sure. Well, and that's the that is the problem. Uh, my favorite William Hurt movie is uh, The History of Violence. Oh, yeah. And what I like that he does as an actor is he's able to um, present authenticity or uh, self-effacing or self-depreciating uh, qualities um, while also uh, being a sociopath. Yeah. Yes. He so revels in he that role. Yeah, he his uh in this movie he's like the alpha, and then he's good looking, um, articulate, and he seems like he's totally dominant with his body language, and yet he continues to present as self depreciating, um, and uh, he acquiesces to others when mm -hmm. uh, seeking their advice. So the mm -hmm. it's very like how to win friends and influence people, which uh, brings. 
yeah i i feel like this brings us to the 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 most important film in the scene which is when albert brooks says that he's the devil which is a uh a real there was like some old timey broadcaster conservative broadcaster that gave some big speeches like if i were the devil i would do this that and the other i would do i would uh slowly eke away at people's uh sense of self i would i would be sexy i would i would do flash over substance and then at the end he's like basically what i do is everything that's going on right now uh in the world (laughs) i would just keep it status quo am i right folks and everyone cheered and he's like a i have no idea who this person is that i'm quoting he's just like a renowned journalist it's also could be a rant that um it's like an it's an exact rant that that bill hicks gives on dangerous like the lowering of the standard of the children of god (laughs) um (laughs) and that that is what william hurt represents (laughs) Do you as think a that person, he's as a he's, person, not, not an actor. just as a human being? Do you think that he's literally he's the antagonist in this story, or is it? I mean, I know I've made this point before. Uh, or is Jack Nicholson's character kind of the devil because yeah. he could take a small pay cut to save lots of jobs? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he, but William Hurt's being primed to become, of course, Nicholson. So William Hurt's really, yeah, some weird ba- demonic baby Nicholson. Yeah, baby Nicholson, and. Uh, and the shithead who, you know, makes people's careers, but has other people retire early. Paul. Yep. Yeah, he's, Paul's not a nice guy. Who was a Washington um, news correspondent for years. Oh, uh, that actor. Him. Yeah, that, the guy that play yeah, right. Um, there's a, yeah. Him and shot Lawrence shot, O'Donnell. Shot entirely in D.C., which was kind of fun to watch. Um, I grew up there, so it was, it, it's a nice time capsule. Yeah. Um I think that um yeah, I mean I I think the, the entire basis of the movie I think the love story is just sort of guised as what the what the moral and ethical struggle is. And I feel like I mean I, I feel like that's the point you were trying to make. Uh and, Dan. Yeah. Or were you not? I'm not I, I'm not uh, sure. I was just going to I was just trying to make a much dumber point that as an anti rom-com it's uh oh right all those people but you can't actually hate um you can't actually hate anyone in the love triangle especially since the end of the movie is all of them acquiescing to like the lives they've chosen albert brooks has a has some kids the guy makes it to jack nicholson's status and uh and holly hunter is still like an extremely successful person in her field mm. though she's not married she says like i i met a guy but my much dumber point was just structurally there's even a scene in a an airport where someone should be running through the airport to stop the person they love from leaving dc and going on this trip and instead it's holly hunter walking in and saying i'm not going because you're a bad person and you represent everything that's wrong with the right. world and and sides with Albert Brooks right after they had an argument basically saying their friendship is over. So there's nothing in it. Like we can say it's melodramatic and it's kind of, you know, it's jokey and it's a little more ice cream, but it's, it is a movie that if you went to see it in theaters as a date, like the rest of the date didn't go well. 
Yeah. <laughs> or you, you did were... not have you did not have fun after watching this. That's I, uh... I always opt for the trips. I've taken trips <laughs> to the Caribbean with people that I didn't like before. So that's I... just the kind of that's just the kind of guy I am. You got it. Yeah, they're uh you you mean so when I say it's ice cream, it's more the aesthetic of it feels really fluffy. The way yes. that the characters interact with each other feels fluffy, but the underlying uh, message is one that is like timelessly pathetic because yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. consummation uh, ever. There is, I watch Albert Brooks and I cringe at the relationship with Holly because it is this um, unrequited love mm -hmm. uh, friend zone thing that feels like high school. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the, the every time that Holly is gonna get together with William, there's always something in the way that stops them from consummating it as well. So yeah. it, this movie is just like this eternal careerist yuppie uh, blue ball experience. Yeah. Yes, or like there's no there's no repercussions for your actions either. Everyone sort of does fine despite how you know how wrong they are. Yes, yes. They so succeed. yeah, that is perfect yuppie culture in the eighties. <laughs> Well, but I, I would point to specifically where I'm like, oh, this is a great joke wrapped in the ethical dilemma of everything that they're discussing in this film is when Holly Hunter and Albert Brooks are in uh, South America. I can't even remember where they go. Do they go, they go to Nicaragua. They go to Nicaragua. Central America. You go to Central America. And, and there's a moment where the cameraman says, hey, put on those boots so they can get B-roll of the guy putting on the boots. And Holly Hunter has to stop and say, like, we're here to, to film the news, not make the news. You, you, sir, you do which, whichever one you feel like. And the guy is just, like, staring at her because he was going to put on his boots. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's a, it's a really funny moment that's also about the entire ethical dilemma that they're dealing with in broadcast journalism. I think, I think that's, that's James L. Brooks's, uh, for, uh, not to reuse a term, but that's that's kind of his lane. I mean, you're you're getting the fluffy aesthetics that Gabe mentioned, and I think a lot of that comes from it's like a Mary Tyler Moore vibe to me. Yeah, and that's what that show was. It was a thirty-something working woman who you know goes to a, like, Minneapolis and then you know get is is the editor for a uh, you know television news program. So this is something that obviously he likes to talk about, and he likes to ex explore it from every angle. I want to yeah. uh, I want to get back to Holly Hunter for a minute just to praise both Brooks uh, James Brooks and her for this because, like I said, she's not an actress that I think of as a leading lady or or even someone that's at the forefront of my mind when I think about cinema, but this movie is such a vehicle for her to be a dynamic lead, you know. Like yeah. I know the movie's got three leads, but she um, seems like such a unique protagonist right yeah. like she's uh she's smart independent and yet still uh uh i'm gonna use the word crazy because you know she's able to be um vulnerable and that you see her like breaking having a nervous breakdown every morning yeah, after she puts right. on her professional face i think it's interesting that she's the centerpiece for you know the, the, the love triangle in the film and i feel like she exudes um, whatever the opposite of sexuality is throughout the course of the movie. I mean, I guess you're, she's, she's supposed to, but um, yeah, the, the, the early morning, late afternoon, mid-evening, late evening cry fits don't help uh, for sure.
just shows like and it's it's commonplace they walk in in the morning and she's just crying at her desk by herself at 7 a.m <laughs> and nobody bats an eye everyone doesn't even pay attention no which gabe were you saying that she it was interesting that she was technically the main the main of three leads as, well, as i guess yeah. how she would be i mean built. i'd say Is she it, she's the spoke uh or she's she's the center of the wheel and everything kind of like revolves around her yeah um and and like she's not eroticized in the same way as other leading ladies right she's the object of desire by these guys but she's like you know wearing <laughs> the the wardrobe in this is extra frumpy yeah and oh yeah the i also have feel some like that, yeah. That's directly because of the subject matter in a lot of ways, though. You know, it's it's yeah. Washington D.C., a pretty conservative town. It's you know covering on on world news, which is again not not sexy. Yeah, so if it's like a if it's a rogue a Libyan bomber. <laughs> but put put Paul Verhoeven in charge of directing this and see oh, what the man. difference would be. Yeah, you know, let's I, let's ice pick deaths, <laughs> rock and roll heart attack sex. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like that she has like a little, uh, mm, yeah, I guess agency with her throwing the condoms in the, but still trying to hide it. Yeah. Be like, it is a workplace meeting that I'm having with colleagues. And then she's like, I'm going to fuck this guy. I'm just going <laughs> to forget yeah. it. I'm just going to fuck this guy. And it's like, there is like a little bit of female desire, but that gets conquered by her ethical thing. So instead of her being, frigid or crazy or whatever stereotype you might have about a a different kind of female lead in a mm -hmm. movie that she she is actually her her love life is undone by this um this dilemma that she has to face and basically albert brooks wins which is not um a feminist thing at all so i don't want to make it sound like this was anti-rom-com destroying a, a, a something we're used to seeing on film mm -hmm. um it is something we're used to seeing on film the I guy think the guy talks her out of fucking that other guy <laughs> like it's not a it's not like the most positive message uh i think it does uh convey though maybe the the uh the central tensions of being a working woman in the yes. 80s and that you can't have it all or no. the struggle between having it all and and she she is uh she has agency as a smart person right who uh is making her own decisions and is still operating at um a high level of competency but you also see what the 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 cost of that right yes and it's and it's in fact like really looking back on it as a man who has worked in an office in the here and now looking back at how affectionate albert brooks is and gets away with it because <laughs> they because she will never have sex with him like it's yeah. it's like the it's like another albert brooks gem as good as it gets where <laughs> helen hunt comes to the door and says i'm not gonna have sex with you that's basically the vibe that she's given off but she accepts his his physical affection um because she knows that I because I guess because there weren't as many rules in 1987. Yeah, there's definitely a bit of a leading on there that, and then she turns around and turns around and puts the condoms in her bag when she says that that's not that it's not a date. That's not a date. Yeah, no, I was just talking about Albert her relationship to Albert Brooks. He kisses her when he's drunk, and she laughs, 
and, and their coworkers and you can't like you and he says i felt something and you're supposed to like laugh and be like this is normal yeah. it's just normal work working people who like each other but are just never gonna it's never gonna happen yeah and uh it's just not the kind of thing you could even get away with in like the late 90s once once clinton is getting blown in his office sure but then again they are outside of work technically at that point and their relationship oh, was yeah. bizarre even yes. though He's the definition of a no, he kisses, friend zoned. He, he kisses her when a piece does well. When the piece is perfect and she's... The first piece they film uh, with uh, Norman Rockwell's The Homecoming that she... Mm -hmm. when we the get soldier. this great scene. Yeah, and we get the great scene of Joan Cusack running, through, you know, the only piece of physical comedy in the yeah. whole movie. Um, that he, he kisses her like on the neck. And she oh, is right. happy. Yeah, sure. And then William Hurt, the hottest man, I guess, the hottest man that ever lived, comes up and says, I'd really a lot appreciate it if you helped me and <laughs> you won't have it. And I just feel like he swooped in he immediately. That if, that if this were happening in 20, 2020, uh, well, not 2020, because there's no offices, but if we're happening in 2019, um, you'd see, uh, you know, he would have gone to HR and been like, I, I'm getting iced out by this lady and it must be my, it's not my personality. She's just openly letting herself be sexualized by, I don't know, this would never happen. Well, this is uh so this movie is like pre-disclosure, pre-sexual harassment, like that movie yes. or like, you know, sexual harassment um, being a legitimate thing that people could talk about in the nineties. Uh, it's also mm -hmm. pre tinder where people can date outside of their professional fields right uh pre-internet I mean, like you know after the internet people were said that they met online but before yeah. that you had sex with people that you met at work because that right. was it so that's why you have so many like bosses and secretary relationships or like doctors and nurses and uh and i think that it for boomers this is just like normalized like the way mm -hmm. that they were acting to us seems sleazier because we had uh, some degree of sex ed or like, <laughs> be, you know, uh, professional behavior norms have just changed. Yeah. And um, so I watched this and I'm like, oh, that's it's creepy and it sucks that they're so that they. OK, here's an example, I guess, of what I mean is like that piece that um, William Hurt's character puts out around date rape. Mm -hmm. every woman in that office is affected by it emotionally yes. and yes. including Holly Hunter. Exactly. And the reason is because all of them, uh, that's literally from what I gathering from this movie's world is like every male friend that they have is like <laughs> trying to steal kisses on their necks when they do a good yep. job. Yep. And so, and it's never been talked about on tv yeah so it's groundbreaking for the moment yeah and that's what's interesting she's like as a woman i related but also <laughs> <laughs> it's like a really great scene that she's she does admit it's it's again about what you're saying about like can a woman have it all it's like yeah. not just about having it all for your personal life but like can you have the opinions of a woman who does not wish to be date raped um and also you know and and uh what be successful makes, in the workplace 
what makes William Hurt, like, even though the message is correct, he is what I would call in this moment, sort of like a, a, a white knight. Or like oh yeah. Oh, ally. he's the fake ally. Yeah, he is the, the fake, fake ally. ally of the yeah, he's crying. <laughs> he's crying about it and then he's fucking somebody else in his workplace and uh yeah. I think Joan Cusack's line about Holly Hunter when she right when she gets fired uh <laughs> was my favorite part when she was just like yeah. you you are my role model just not socially. Yes. Which I except th- for think socially. Like a, except for socially which I, that was yeah. a great line kind of summed her up in a nutshell. She like, also she also introduces the ego world, the egotistical world of the newsroom because she comes in and she goes, "Is this because I won that award?" And you and they right. never mention what it is. They just just that for some reason Joan Cusack is doing better than Holly Hunter at the beginning of the movie. Right. Um, I also <laughs> yeah my favorite line as while we're on the subject the best one that I I mean the thing <laughs> that I relate to the most and the thing that really sells me on the movie is when Paul is interacting with Holly Hunter, whose name we have never said, and I don't remember the character's name. This, Jane. This is my, Jane, this is my favorite movie. <laughs> I don't know the character's name. <laughs> don't we know just the use actors' name. names in this. I just yeah, you, you fit name. right in over here. At <laughs> Paul we we decided this... to have Gabe not mention characters' names again, <laughs> actors' <laughs> names. <laughs> Paul Paul gets pulled outside of this party where they're about to they're about to do this thing and and, and it's and it's the canonization of William Hurt's character the big the big intro for him as a newscaster and she tells him not to put him on and Paul says well uh, that's your opinion and she goes it's not an opinion it's fact and then he gets to say wow you're just absolutely right and I'm absolutely wrong it must be so nice to think that you always know better and then she goes no it's awful yeah. <laughs> and that's it if Great you line. don't yes um if you don't relate to it i just feel like you don't have enough smart friends if you don't relate <laughs> to that, it that that's the kind of thing that wouldn't be in another comedy movie because they would try to make the characters too likable and these aren't these are i, I mean i like these people because I'm this much of an asshole and I uh, hang out with comedians who are completely ego driven and ask things like, is this because I won that award? Is this because I was on Colbert once? Um, You know, is this, yeah, it's egos and ambition and intelligence and everybody knowing better than the other person. And if you're in entertainment, you got to relate to this. And, and that's, what's weird about it is that it's almost more about James L. Brooks, uh, relationship to television and TV writers than it probably is to journalism. I want, um, even though he was good at, yeah. I wanted to jump in and say that everything that you're talking about is exemplified in one scene, my favorite scene in this, which is when William Hurt is going to broadcast for the first time and the newsroom is full of this like nervous energy and the entire newsroom reminded me of whenever I was in a high school play production. Because <laughs> you have the stage crew and you have all the moving parts in real time. And behind the scenes, there's all these unsung heroes that are all experts in the one thing that they do. So yeah. there's this camaraderie and this moment of familial connection while the process is happening. But yes. it's also extremely tied to like envy 
and competition. Right. Because they have to continue to excel at the thing they're doing. Um, and that's, yeah. and that's the, uh, and I don't mean to interrupt, but that's the exact reason why Sorkin sucks. Because <laughs> Sorkin made Sports Night, and Sports Night is essentially the same thing as broadcast news, but he tried to make them all nice. Like he tried to make them at least, at least give everybody like a, a soft side that would make you okay with them being that ambitious or smart. And so even when they fight, they make up and it's fine and whatever. Yes. Like Holly Hunter and Albert Brooks fight is the career ender. It's the death knell for their relationship. It is over for them. They will not be friends. They will not live in the same city. Um, there's nothing, I mean, maybe that comes up and I'm misremembering, but sports night is like everything that you said that makes you feel warm and fuzzy about theater at, without the, the spite and the anger and the actual, you know, work. Right. Well, once newsroom, the mission's accomplished, it, like, it, it, the affinity is really only there once when you're doing it. And yeah. when you remember nostalgically that you did something, but yeah. the minute that they're done with the broadcast, it's like, you don't really want to hang out with these people. Like you don't, <laughs> it's the show's over. Everybody goes home. <laughs> like um, Seinfeld. Yeah. Well, but yeah. that's, that's what I mean. It's like, I like everybody on Seinfeld and they're unlikable people. Mm -hmm. They're not likable. They're not good people. I they're don't know. Main, you know, unlikable to a lot of people, but not to everybody. I, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so. it's said that um I think in interviews that they weren't friends on the show. Like Oh, really? They, they're like, "Well, we were professionally friends, but the minute right. that you know, shooting ended, they never hung out or chatted." No. And why would you? <laughs> <laughs> um but that scene is still it's so brilliant because it uh there's Albert Brooks. You see all of their skill set coming mm -hmm. out and how wonderful they are at the thing they do. Holly Hunter being um, an executive producer and yelling from her boot, her elevated booth, like Captain Kirk fighting Klingons. You know, she's like <laughs> shouting orders and yeah. barking at everybody. And then, and they, yeah. Go, go ahead, Gabe. Well, and then Albert Brooks is like, like uh, watching the show in real time and calling Holly Hunter and feeding her info to give oh, yeah. to William Hurt. Right. I, I, one yeah. thing that I found interesting was that it kind of, it tells you who the characters are in the, in the two opening scenes when they're introduced, um, when they're kids. Right. Uh, I, I see, I thought it was interesting that based on William, Strick, William Hurt's role, why they chose him to be the first character introduced. And, and you know, that scene where he graduates high school early, it basically looks like a Republican senator's origin story. <laughs> he just gets beat up and then, you know, his, his one, his one. Oh, you mean Albert Brooks? Albert yeah, Brooks. Albert Brooks. I, I thank you and I forgive you. <laughs> was that, that was, I thought that was supposed to be William Hurt's character. No, 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 no. Oh, that's, see? that's Brooks. Uh, William Hurt is the is opening. someone that looks nothing like Albert Brooks <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, but, he's no, but you can hear it in his voice. I think you guys are wrong because the dad comes back and it's the same dad from the milk truck, right? No, the milk oh, no, truck you're kid right. I'm, is... I'm the... completely... Yeah, yeah. I'm back. Yeah, I'm the back milk, yeah, the milk truck kid is like, what does it even mean, beat him off with a stick? But he's still ambitious, and that's, that's what's really that's, exciting. That's William Hurt's. That's William yeah. Hurt. Right, yeah. the other... I'm sorry, I got him confused. 
right. And in fact, my, that's my like, apologies. and those are the three cheesiest moments of, of the film to me. But because that's they're the, just, uh, they're jokes. Denzel Brooks lightheartedness. Yeah. Yes. They could yeah, have yeah, killed yeah. those children, those child actors. They could have cut oh. that whole part. <laughs> yeah, they could have. Any of that origin story. It felt like I was watching a Christmas story or some other yes. like absolutely nonsense. It completely shifted. I'd never, I'd never seen this before, so it set the tone for me very differently than the actual movie was. So I, I was right. like, oh, this is. I thought it was actually like going to be a more serious movie, and then when that that opening ten minutes, and I was like, oh, so this is definitely um, not that. And then it shifted <laughs> again. Yeah, um, I want you to know, I had a conversation with a another comedian at the Creek who told me his favorite movie was Gummo. And, uh, That's so and I was like, awful. really? And he was like, yeah. And then he goes, and what's your favorite movie? Cause we were just talking about movies. Like, um, you know, like we only do, that's the only thing there is to talk about. And, um, and I said, my favorite movie's broadcast news. And he was like, what's wrong with you? What's like, wrong with well, you? I don't, I don't know. It's like, I, I don't want to, my pretentious answer is like eight and a half or the Stan Brackage window water baby moving that, that Gabe opened talking about, you know, I could say <laughs> that shit, but I don't enjoy watching those movies over and over. Right. I love watching these movies. I like the gags in this movie. I like the lines in this movie. Um, and I, I, I would yes, have the, the sweetest part is the opening and that's too bad because right. it's not, it's not like the rest of the movie. If someone said their favorite movie was Gummo, I would just have nothing but like a litany of questions to ask that person. <laughs> I, I didn't your believe own sort him. of psychic evaluation, like you know, psychological evaluation on it because it's not true. That's nobody. I know that's what I ever. said. That's what I told him. I was like, yeah, that's not true. That's not even. That's not your favorite movie. That's no one's favorite movie. It's an, it's not a movie. I don't know what to what. I don't know what that is. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's. that's <laughs> I don't know. I just a, wanted to shout out that guy for that's like for, something a film school kid in 1994 would have been like gummo's my favorite film and i think <laughs> he was the age of a person who graduated from film school in the late 90s right. at least and so for me i and i have now in my 30s given up on all my pretension as a 20 something right and have just accepted that i like light-hearted comedies that suddenly go a place that you didn't expect and there is except, nothing wrong with that <laughs> look except that i all, but i don't like this is 40 i, I guess or uh, yeah that also one. Ridiculous. funny funny people i don't like funny people Dude, as long <laughs> funny as people favorite... should be my favorite movie but it's not sorry yeah as long as it's not hook we're fine <laughs> man uh well, uh, guys, there's a, there's so, I mean, this movie kit, we could talk about it forever. Um, you know, there's so many things that, uh, that are relevant today, like the firing and downsizing of the entire, st of half the staff. Yes. <laughs> um, and during the pandemic, like a job I was at, we got an email and like half the staff got fired. And it was that same feeling of uh, you know, uh, t trying to like, not gloat and uh -huh. to feel bad for your coworkers and not to give away too much whatever because you know we're all we're all in this together but like half the family gets like voted off the island <laughs> um and yeah i mean it's kind of creepy the way that news has gone where a bunch of people that i know all got job like staff writing jobs 
for maybe two to three years, like just long enough to get comfortable. And then like the entire paper folded or like the, the, the news site is gone. And that's a little different than this because these all, all these people seem like they're at different points in their career. But the thing that's, that would make this movie an update is that all of those people in the office would be in their twenties and uh, they'd all be fucking each other and they'd all be <laughs> secretly and they'd all be going out and getting drunk and talking about how they wanted to change, change up the game. And then um, the entire thing would fold and they would never be able to find another job um, in that industry. And yeah. so what's weird about this is that it's, it's the beginning of the end of something. So everybody who's leaving is old. Like Holly's still going to work and William Hurt gets promoted and Albert Brooks gets to keep his job because they're all the young squad of people actually knowing how the news is changing. These old idiots, you know, they're 60. Right. They don't know anything else. They need to leave and never come back. Yeah, it's like all the people I know that got uh, let off were or fired were the ones that didn't know how to use Zoom. <laughs> yeah. And it's weird. It's weird <laughs> to can people that gave you 30 years of their lives or something, but it's something that I don't personally know now because all of my friends have worked at a place for like two years and it sounded like their dream job. And then it either disappeared or they left because it was toxic or, or they got fired and laid it's off. Like, if your resume doesn't have a TikTok account on it, how many followers you got on TikTok? <laughs> I get asked that in auditions. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, how many Twitter followers do you have? And I'm like, who cares? Who gives a shit? Yeah. And it's because they're all scared that they will fold without people watching. Well, and that leads us to Jack Nicholson's best part in the film where oh, yeah. uh, he is so sad that everyone's getting fired. And then the um, the editor, the chief editor at the station's like, well, if you... If you took a million dollar pay cut, we could make save it less some brutal. People. And that's Paul's only moment of bravery. And then he's such a kiss ass that he changes tact immediately upon seeing Jack Nicholson's just his look and goes, Oh, I'm sorry. That was a terrible joke said in jest. And <laughs> I didn't mean it. And he just kisses his ass immediately, even though he just finally said the bravest thing he could say. I had actually forgotten that he was in the movie. And when he, popped, <laughs> when he popped back up, I was like, I wonder how much he got paid for this. And then and I did some little bit of research and he actually, to his own, on his own, refused to take any pay for the film. Yeah. I thought was pretty cool. Good for him. Yeah, good for him. Him and Dennis Franz. Um, so, yeah, another thing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I got distracted. Yeah. The, the thing I like also... Well, I just, on Paul, I just wanted to say another favorite line is when the guy says, I certainly hope you die soon. Yeah, that um, was so good. It's just a fucking solid. And they're all just sweet old men shaking hands. Um, it's, yeah, I, I, I don't know what else to say about it that I haven't already like ranted at you guys about, except that I do like, um, I would kill to give, to, to write lines of dialogue like this. I would kill to to write that fight. I love an earned fight. Um, sort of like 
I do. Uh, I was talking about big, the big sick Holly Hunter's other movie um, <laughs> that we all know and love uh, that they do get in that, that Emily and Kumail wrote this scene of them fighting. And it's actually about like Kumail's uh, upbringing. I, I don't know. I love a good fight that actually has some connection to the plot instead of just like a dumb fight about, Oh, I was, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I don't know how else to explain it. Like it, it just, everything got watered down in my lifetime. The fight uh, to add on to what you're saying about the fight. It's like in all the rom-coms that we've been watching, the fights are always some dumb miscommunication. Yes, exactly. Lied at some point to impress the other person. And then the lie comes out, the trust is broken and then they have to come back and re uh, reestablish trust. And right. this is not a fight about that. No, this is a fight about your every, the, your moral fiber, your moral compass being stripped from you because you want some sweet dick from William Hurt. You know? <laughs> and um, also, also Albert Brooks is, you know, shouldn't, yeah. shouldn't be an asshole either. How did we not talk about the one small instance where Holly Hunter is asked by the other reporter if she has any interest in William Hurt's character. And she says, immediately she says yes. And then she retracts and was like, absolutely not. And then sends the woman to Alaska on a garbage yeah. assignment. I love it. Well, the other thing that's the, really important about that scene is the shot of uh, Albert Brooks watching Holly Hunter pass off the other anchor to William Hurt. Yeah, And then at the exact same time, it's like almost the, that's the sort of crux of the film. It's not the fight is that single image captures everything about the film, which is Albert Brooks watching from her behind her back, her set up, you know, the supposed love of her life with another woman. And then he immediately turns to the left because the phone rang and it's, um, it's about to set in motion all these events that'll make uh, William Hurt go on to be a big success and uh it's like that one shot alone is sort of the most important thing in the film well we've uh we've talked about this movie for like an hour now which which is (laughs) and and we barely scratched the surface but uh you know i'd like to say like my final thoughts on the movie are that we we criminally did not talk about albert brooks enough no uh, and everyone should know that this guy is a comedic genius and it's one of his funniest yeah 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 last week we talked about la story um with steve martin who was like another they were peer they were contemporaries both like breakout stars of 1970s um comedy stand-up sketch and um yeah and then and so i don't know it's like watching them both in sort of these dramcoms back to back Mm-hmm. And uh, Albert Brooks's performance is so, um, it's not improv, but it feels so natural. And he has the best quips of the whole movie. Well, apparently Albert Brooks is the one who came up with the scene. He didn't write it, but he was the one watching CNN as research or something, you know, whatever station he was watching uh, and saw a sweating anchor yeah. and was like that should be this guy's problem like they, all it said in the script was something bad happens to him when he anchors and then it moved on 
yeah. like he flubbed he flubbed all his lines that he wrote or something and albert brooks was the one that's like oh he should sweat and it's one of the funniest scenes yeah in the yeah, movie it said he saw that then called james brooks at 3 a.m to tell him that that's what needs yeah to yeah yeah and just uh oh 11 people are dead i, <laughs> yes. was, I was one of them that's that's that was great too yeah yeah, he's. I mean, he's he's the most likable character by far in the in, in the entire film. <laughs> he might be the only not now likable. He's likable to us because right. we're all smart assholes. <laughs> he's true. not a likable person. I, I mean, the, it, he's the I, one I'm that saying, I, you know, relatively likable. In, yes, in, yeah, yeah. In comparison to what he's up against, which right. I found the other two unlikable. Holy, I, I don't know why. Holly Hunter's character annoyed me but that's, that's, that's okay. Uh, so this is where, this is the one time where I thought William Hurt, uh, his character was an idiot. Throughout mm. this whole thing, I didn't think he was dumb. I actually was incredibly impressed at his ability to simultaneously listen to feedback in his headphone and, and reframe mm. questions. Mm -hmm. um, he really had an, an intuitive understanding of human nature, but the moment where he is at the um, correspondence dinner, which is like the biggest event of the year sure. for everyone in media. Holly, he allows Holly Hunter to um, pull him away from elevating his career because she's not yeah. feeling it because she's nervous or whatever. Because she has the condoms yeah. in her purse. She had condoms in her purse. But that yeah, is yeah. a huge red Self -serving flag. Self-serving move too. That's such a red flag with any partner that if you're like at some event that you need to be at for your career, <laughs> for them to just undercut you like that and be like, I need to go home now. Like that is criminal. Gabe, do your, do your listeners know what's going on in your personal life? <laughs> <laughs> they, know, they know everything like, about great. me. But uh... <laughs> just such a great, like, I wonder what happened. Okay, yeah. that was rude. That was rude, and you're allowed to cut it, but I, I would leave it. <laughs> no, I don't care. But uh, just never, yeah, let's say we're at a comedy, let's say we're at a comedy Christmas party, and you get tired <laughs> at 9.30. Come on. Come on. Get, get out of the game. What's Holly Hunter doing? Flaking on this event that, that also is really important for her. Yes. So that was also, the red flag. Why put the whole box? of condoms in your purse yeah with the box yeah. that's just, very optimistic also dumb. Yeah. Just dumb. <laughs> it's like was it her first time is that, <laughs> is that your first time having sex right um but yeah i think this is a i think this is a great movie to watch um to uh to see what media was like in the 80s uh the actors are at the top of their game um, this, if you don't know who Holly Hunter is, this is the movie to watch to check her out and Albert Brooks's funniest performance. Yeah. Yep. Funniest. Yeah. I give funniest. it a, I give it a, a seven correspondent dinner microphones. Nice. <laughs> out of 10. Um, I, I, I'm I'm on board with the seven out of ten. I think that it's 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 important to see that it, at one point, journalists did have integrity. Even television journalists had integrity, as opposed to the sensationalist ranting and bi like divisiveness and well, bias journalism you're getting now. Especially. Yeah, they're all they're all the age of people who would have grown up watching Murrow, right? They're all like right, yeah. they would have been kids when Murrow was on TV, and they would have been like, "Whoa, mm -hmm. 
that's a real job. It, uh, it, yeah, exactly. And, and there, there was such a thing as, as like a, you know, a, a, a somewhat free press at one point. I mean, obviously much more so than, than there is now. Uh, it also hit some nostalgic notes. It, it, was, it felt like a very DC movie to me. Um, growing up in that city as Gabe did as well. Like I, it, it felt uh, stuffy and, and, and pretentious just, just, just how I remember DC being growing up. That exact vibe. Like, you know, she even gave him directions on how to get to wherever that building was, you know, taking 17th of Vermont to Connecticut. That's exactly how you get there. Listen, that's, that was right. I was like, wow, they paid attention to detail. But that was like the smart way to get yeah. there. Very uh, so accurate. There good, very, I mean, like, per, like, you know, Connecticut Avenue on Sunday night, not, not that crowded. Um, but I think it's important in the sense that, like, you, you could actually get a historical view on what, what journalism was, it's kind of supposed to be like, even if it's, uh, you know, run by people like them. Uh, Albert Brooks is obviously great. And, you know, it was well, well acted, just like Gabe said. Um, I would give it, I would give it eight out of 10 uh, loose condoms in a purse, Gabe. Yeah. <laughs> because it's just I, a smarter way to do things. I only, uh, I just, I just relate it to how much I like gummo. And I say it's, <laughs> it's 11 it's out no of gummo. 10. It's you no gummo. Sir. You, I know gummo and you, sir, are no gummo. <laughs> no gummo. <laughs> I just, uh, I sincerely, I compare it to network and I compare it to Sorkin and it's almost, it's just like smack dab in the middle of my brain where I'm like, you, you don't want to make it this and you don't want to make it this. You could just make it like an honest depiction of where it is in the moment. So maybe it holds up, maybe it doesn't. But there was... There was a critique of Sorkin that someone, a friend of mine, gave a, a while back, and it was that it seemed pretty true, and it, it make, makes a lot of sense. He said that he, or she said that he doesn't know how to write women, whereas I think James Brooks does, or has a better understanding, or is better at it than Sorkin was. So I've kind of watched everything uh, that Sorkin does with that, you know, quote in mind, and it's 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 true, and I think that you know you can tell, and that's that that that's like his down. I mean, his snappy cocaine riddled dialogue is one thing, but you know, being able to write passionate characters on of both sexes or all sexes gen blah 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 but yeah i yeah. I, I agree i agree that it's, and i think it's, it's uh the really in my research what i've found is that all you had to do was interview a woman mm -hmm. so that's all that brooks or did yeah, or ask for some input ask, maybe <laughs> ask for some input from a lady yeah and you too could write a thing other human being yeah. Uh, well, Dan, where can uh, where can people find you, man? I'm at Dan Wilbur on Twitter. I, I'm at Dan Wilbur Comedy on Instagram. I host an open mic on Instagram now during these these times amidst these times, and uh, and yeah, that's it. I'm writing jokes still, hosting little Zoom shows every once in a while. Perfect. Well, uh, I'll, I'll post a, a link to your website in the, uh, in the show notes and, uh, you can find me at gabepacheco.com and, uh, I have Funhouse comedy every Wednesday night at nine 30 on zoom Eastern standard time. Awesome. And check out the eat, pray, judge Instagram page, follow us, comment. And, uh, that's good. That's what I'd like you to do. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll be back next week with another uh, great movie and another guest. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.